Forbes is a red flag anyway. If anyone's connected to Forbes, I immediately think red flag is ticking. But anyway, forget about that one. He was Forbes 30 in the 30. Um, hush puppy. No, not even hush puppy. Oh. These man are wow. a penny. They're burying them, man. Hello, welcome to another Black in the Box, the world as told by black faces in white spaces. And we've got a special one. We've got a special one here today. Not one, but two guests. Big ones. Is that Ramio's Dan? And I found one point of a triple threat of regulars with Alana. Hello, hello. Very excited. Excited to have these guests in. Mm, I'm and Dom on the phone, live from, is that Newcastle? Yeah, Newcastle. The scenario, the setting's all a bit different from when I was at uni, but I'm up in the tune. Salubrious surroundings. Man's doing it big. And as I said, today not one but two guests. And making his debut is Simeon. Oh, has Neef been here before? <laughs> you came once. So, Neef had the hookup before? Okay, wow. Bro, <laughs> bro, <laughs> going on. Well, I'm glad to be here finally. We came through. Newly minted author. Can we say that now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The book is out next week, 3rd of March. Get Rich or Lie Trying. Available in all good bookstores. If, it doesn't, if it's not in a bookstore, then that store is very bad and leave immediately. Exactly. <laughs> we'll, we, won't, we will not repeat a, a, a Ali's story from when she tried to buy the book earlier on. Oh, yeah. 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 Don't say the name. Cause no, 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 I won't. We'll, are, talk, we'll talk offline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, are, they are signing your checks, both of you. And Neve, back again? Back again. I feel like a honorary family member now. Absolutely. Welcome so back. there we go. Um, we want to talk influencers we want to talk a bit a bit about the black economy we want to talk about what the cost of that is also the basis of is Simmons book and then also given the sad news we want to touch on Jamal Edwards and the impact he had and the way he touched people and just the response and the love that the community and just the world at large has shown him so we're going to get into it so Simeon get rich or why trying? What gave you the idea for the book? So a few years ago, I began to notice that a lot of young men, young black men from the end suddenly were rich. And they were driving around in Jaguars, Teslas, you name it, three-piece suits, um, posting you know, pictures with you know, the red bottom showing. <laughs> and then they were presenting themselves as CEOs of hedge funds um, at 21, 22, which... Finance, I'm sure you know, is a very elite field and it's very, I guess, it recruits from a very narrow pool of people. So it's very rare to find a 21-year-old CEO who's banned from ENTS. So I began to dig deep to look at you know, what was happening. And what I uncovered was that, effectively, they were influencers and they conceded that they were influencers. And they were, a lot of the time, just sales representatives signing young people up to what were betting platforms um, with dubious products that were completely rigged against consumers. And so the FCA said that they had like an 80% chance of risk to the, of loss to the consumer, which is which is huge. Um, and then as I began to pull the thread a bit more, what I began to see was a huge world of kind of pyramid schemes of exploitative capitalism of people faking it until they made it until, you know, this was something that was happening in a lot of different rooms, a lot of different spaces. And so my book was looking at 
all the different or lots of different sub subsections of influencer uh, culture, um, the, some of the crypto bros and you know the traders, but then also the fast fashion models and the exploitation that take place in that realm. It was looking at you know gamers, um, IRL live streamers, also activist influencers, and it was looking at the common thread that was driving all of this was this huge pressure to be successful, but also how the platforms incentivized both dishonest dishonesty and deceit, but just this culture of of faking it till you make it and so the book is both i guess investigative but also it's kind of like a look at pop culture and that the kind of post hip-hop consensus and um, post thatcherite consensus in which you know the values of wall street gordon gecko so forth have become infused in this moment in time where it's all about laissez-faire lace individualism, hyper-consumerism, and these are the primary values of the day that young people have consumed and now feel under pressure to reproduce. And that's fundamentally what, what the book is about. Yeah, I mean, I was doing some research for this, and you said the book, it's led by stories about the people in this economic system who aren't the winners. And that's right. we see the tip of the iceberg. We absolutely see the tip of the iceberg. I work in marketing. Um, Neef's obviously, you're right, you're in and around that world. You, you know, I'm not calling you out to say the Brits last week. The people, <laughs> man was there. He didn't pay for his ticket. He's getting, <laughs> he's getting invites to this stuff now. But I mean, if you were there, you take a look around, and that's the new frontier now. You look on TV shows, and they have like genuine sort of people have come up with TV personalities of actors as as musicians, and next to them is KSI. KSI is the most famous person in the room. So it's kind of understandable for me that young people would see that and think okay how can i get a piece of that yeah yeah and sure. it's, it's super interesting to see you sort of come and just sort of obviously start to pull that thread and, and find I, out i mean ksi is a blue chip youtuber and the people mm. who are the influencers who we ascribe the term are the people who have the most success so you know they're the love island contestants they're the big boy youtubers big boy gamers but they're always going to be outliers. People at the top are always outliers. Mm -hmm. um, and so right now, what I was interested in was primarily the people who are in the underclass, people who are trying to not even just, I guess, replicate that success, but also just to make any kind of money from social media. And so what the book was really kind of analysing was how post-financial crisis, you know, actually in real terms for our generation or anyone graduated post-2008, real wages of kind of graduate labour has declined in terms of what it was uh, 30 years ago. Things like home ownership in cities like this is impossible without substantial family wealth or just huge fortune. Mm. Um, in real terms, it's like uh, work has become more precarious. And so what's filled the void is that social media promises that, you know what, this is what you need now to meet your ambitions. Let alone the fact that I think a generation we're more ambitious than previous generations because once upon a time, certainly in Britain, class felt more static like you died in the class that you were born but it feels like there's far more movement and possibilities and to some extent there, that is true there is greater porosity in terms of class movement and possibilities of our lives that 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 is without question but it doesn't mean that where you're born where you're born to what in what area you're born you know who your parents are don't matter but the current consensus is that all that matters is that you know if you hustle hard and work hard then you could achieve it but That's if you mentality. but if you're disenfranchised from that it's the shadow economies that will draw you in. So all these men, them that these, these men want to work in hedge funds. They want to work in Goldman. They want to be these brothers. Mm. That's what they aspire to. But those realms are elite. Mm. And so it's the shadow economies and the shadow versions of that, which scamming is rife, F is rife, fraud is rife. That is, 
the pool that feels real to them. And so even when I was looking at, I guess, some of the man, some of the guys who were in Nigeria, one of the characters was a, a brother who was in the front cover of Forbes Africa. Um, he was Forbes 30 under 30. Well, For Forbes is a red flag anyway. If anyone connected to Forbes, I immediately think, <laughs> red flag is ticking. But anyway, forget about that one. He was Forbes 30 under 30. And then he was effectively, he went to America. You know, he was on all the blogs, Bella Niger, whatever. Went to America, got arrested, busted. Big, big wire fraud. Um, Hush puppy. No, not even hush puppy. Yeah. These, these yeah. men are wow. a penny. They bury them, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah. that entire 419, uh, I guess, industry in Nigeria, a lot of those people are super talented, the graduates, hardworking, but they're on the side of the economy where corruption is rife, inequality is rife, and they just feel like you've got, you've got to do what you can to, to, make, to make it out. The system is rigged, so you've got to do what you can. And so that, those were, it's that side where I think the stories in my book speak to this wider inequality, mm. let alone the other trends that we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, for me, I do like to look, look to those stories because I feel like influencer culture is just, I mean, it feels the same. It's driven by that need for young people to escape those same sort of depressive financial pressures that people have always had to. And as you're saying, it's the pressure on the working class, like the state of the jobs market, the housing market, like we had the other week, the restructuring of student loans. Yeah, yeah, it's real. It's real. They've got to find, people have got to, young people have got to just try and find their way out. And it's 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 funny because almost shadow, almost sort of reflecting that is is our sort of deep mistrust of these influence because and his mistrust i guess of the of the one percent so you saw the old people sort of responded by responded to molly may like it's mistrust of that one percent so there's no respect and I, I feel there's no it's not viewed as, as a legitimate industry which i guess exacerbates the problems that you're talking about uh, yeah i guess for a certain type of influencer okay so you know, Molly May, I guess, to many, is the archetypal influencer. When you say, oh, what's an influencer? You think someone like Molly May, like yeah. whatever. Mm. My understanding of the term influencer is far more broad. It's anyone mm. on social media trying to generate labour, work or attention to, to, to monetize okay. it. Which, you know, if you have a podcast and you're on social media, that includes you, that includes I've got a book at the moment. Mm. That in turn, well, I'm looking at behaviour and the category of it. Mm. And um, this is a form of digital work. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's broader than that. I think that... In a weird way, the distrust that, or I guess the skepticism that, that is growing, although it's being applied to people with like a million followers, actually, in a weird way, they're some of the better behaved because they have greater agency. So Molly May probably turns down more deals than she accepts mm. easily. Mm. People are desperate to get her to promote something. But it's people who are at the lower end of trying to generate an income online who are more desperate and are less, I guess, are less concerned about, you know, this harm in their brand because they're just trying to vlog anything. And it's how pyramid schemes are now uh, being regalvanized, mm. um, largely by micro-influencers. So for for me, it's even about us broadening and broadening out our understanding of what an influencer actually is and looking yeah. at it as a type of digital work that is real and is filling uh, a void. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, prior to the sort of influencer economy even really being a real thing so i'm from the la area oh yeah was, my, yeah my me, book's in, in la a lot i was in yeah, la yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i noticed uh, yeah because and that article you talk about fashion nova yeah, and, yeah. which is a big thing um but it reminds me of how everyone in la is trying to be an actor and the market is just flooded with people who yeah. want to be actors and now youtubers and there was also a period of time where i see the way people perceive influencers now kind of the way that 
people perceived reality TV stars in the in the beginnings, you know, where people were just kind of like mm. desperate for that 15 minutes of fame or you would have people who were like the Kardashians or even Paris Hilton before that who um, were celebrities, but they were famous for being famous. And I think that's potentially where some of the resistance is to accept something like an influencer yeah, as yeah. a legitimate career because you see it as somebody who's just desperate for that 15 minutes of fame who's potentially not offering any real value and you're not seeing the the broader definition of what an influencer is you don't like when i hear influencer i still have to i i know that there are a multitude <laughs> of definitions but i still my first thought is Oh yeah, somebody who's grasping for that for that fame and for that clout, and but it really could be you know an entrepreneur, an artist, um, a public figure, an activist, like somebody who is actually doing good and adding value and has a real career path. In some cases. In some cases, in some, <laughs> but, that's, but that's the thing. You, yeah, and yeah. then there's there's who you see who get the most views and who have the the biggest following and then like you said there's all the other people who make up the majority of that influencer market that you don't really you don't really see kind of the rough underbelly yeah, which I, yeah. I guess is what your book's all about yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean it's, it's i talk a lot about la um book you know engages and interviews people who are in la mm. um both uh I guess the strata of influencer class that I was looking at the underclass, I guess, but also people who've been exploited in sweatshops in downtown LA and, and making the clothes fashion over and mm. companies like it. Um, and I talk about the kind of Californianization of the world, um, like literal, like like the culture of California now is we literally carry carry around a design of California in our phone, uh, the iPhone and mm. the apps, the, the platforms that we use made in, you know, uh, the Bay Area, San Francisco, um, and then the big influence of the attention economy, the real heart of it, LA, and that's where the biggest influences are based anyway. Mm -hmm. So the actual values of this place has actually been exported and consumed. And now we, you know, even sitting here in London, are a part of that ecosystem now. So I, I think the LA comparison is 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 good and, and, and interesting and very, very astute. I do, I feel like for me, the question about influence is not, I know people are resistant to whether this is, this is not a real job or whatever. It's like, no, work is, it is, this is work. Mm -hmm. This is the income. Yeah. Yeah. But the question is, what is the nature of this work? Yeah. What are the values of this work? What does it speak to? Atomization, what are the, the what level of agency does the people doing this work have? And it, it really does vary. Because, you know, people sit with 200, 300, 500 thousand followers and they are engaging right now in influencer work via affiliate links, um, trying to make money digitally, trying to drive engagement in very different ways. So it's like all of this needs to come into the thaw when we're talking about this kind of work. It's not just the kind of the big hitters. Mm. Mm. It, it's interesting because I know, I guess previously, well, your book doesn't focus specifically on, on black influencers. It's about influencing at large. But it's fascinating to see when you sort of explore this thing and when you work with influencers, the losers are the same ones. Um, and when you look at something like the influencer pay, pay gap, it's black women again, like hmm. losing out. Uh, you saw all the black TikTok creators because people like Addison Ray just jacking their style and suddenly she's on Jimmy Fallon, literally doing dances that she's taken from black creators and getting all this publicity on mainstream TV. Hmm. Um, was that 
something I guess when you started writing the book was that a journey that you thought you'd see did, did it surprise you that's that's how it panned out you mean you mean in terms of the, the pay gap for influencers yeah and I was writing the book um yeah I mean I was vaguely aware of it mm. that wasn't entirely my focus in fact no. in many ways I felt that actually black influencers who were wanted to promote clothes for Fashion Nova and PLT who are exploitative companies were mm. demanding in the name of justice the se- great pay for exploitative companies doing <laughs> using sweatshops <laughs> and I was thinking to myself <laughs> the math ain't math in here yeah. <laughs> and so actually I was I was I was more interested in um, I, I was interested in different impacts yeah. on I guess black culture black civil movements that influencer culture had had okay. and um what the logic of social media actually does do to progressive movements because of the fact that it creates hierarchical celebrities and, and doesn't necessarily lead release people to think that just content creation and outrage is enough and it's not enough mm. for movements. So I was more interested in that um, as opposed to the fact that the truth is, is that it's the audience that dictates it. So you yeah. have black influencers whose audience is not prominently black. So you might have like KSI, for example. Mm there's not the same deficit in earnings there. Mm. But if you are a black influencer and your audience is probably black people, then that's not an audience that is attracted to some some brands. That is interesting um, and it reproduces uh, the inequalities that we know already exist and it's it's telling. Um, And I do, and I nod to that, but I I had more, I guess, fundamental issues with, I guess, the structure of this space. Um, and I, I thought that the big backlash during BLM towards come towards super exploitative companies saying that they were being unfair, not because they were exploiting their labor, but because someone wanted to wear some dusty clothes from Fashion Nova. For me, I thought if anything, that was a prime example of the problem with influencer led discourse. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the chapter in your book, so Black Lives Matter. Is uh, my cash out. Is my cash out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Effectively. That's one of the chapters, anyway. I think that one, that one might get me, get me the most heat, to be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> the game, um, the game is the game. So yeah, so the, the I believe the premise of that is like social movements which are appropriated by leaders who are primarily trying to build their brand. Yeah, it, it was about about different things. That was a part of it, but it was it was broader than that. It was it one. It, it tends to look at Black Twitter, mm. which is one of the most influential subsections of the internet. Given. Like black people have really given a lot of language to the internet that mm-hmm. brands have capitalized on. Like black people will be doing the work. Yeah. Um, but it was interested kind of in looking at, okay, let's look at BLM, one of the most significant social movement, digital social movements that, that, that there is, and look at the possibilities of it because it has created huge influences as we know it, and they're making huge amounts of money as influencers. Um, but then looks at what does that do to movements? Because the whole point of, of Twitter or Instagram is that you know you have followers, and it's a strip, it's a, it's a setup that creates hierarchy and creates celebrity. And how useful is that for creating movements? And if you're aware that you can grow your following via outrage, what does that then do? Um, at one point, it can be useful for creating shareable content, but does it lead to movements who are lobbying, building coalitions, going beyond their networks? Debatable. The platforms themselves are limited. And then it looks at the fact that what was happening was that people were realizing that outrage was really selling, just like newspapers have always done this, but mm. that was in the hands of billions of people. And they were just pumping out outrage, sometimes in cases, sometimes away from the issues that really mattered. And then, you know, 
putting a cash up underneath it, considering it kind of like labor and enough as activism. And then movements then were just pivoting solely to content. And mm. that is not enough for a social movement. Mm. Um, and so then it was looking at effectively what happens when just things become content. And this is something that's happening a lot broader than just obviously black Twitter. It's, it's happening across the spectrum. Politics is content primarily, yeah. but it, that was the community that I was most invested in. And so I, and so I looked at, I looked at how influencers had appropriate, had appropriated it, misunderstood it, hadn't really done the readings. Mm. Um, and then we're out here basically misusing it and therefore misleading people, um, sometimes accidentally. And mm. obviously, yeah, I mean, that creation of celebrity does create a disconnect between maybe some of the, the, the leaders who sometimes they meant well and they do care. And then people who are like, I guess in the masses and they're like, well, you're just a celebrity now. Like, like why go on for you? And that creates the kind of distrust as well. So it was really about the limitations of the platform as a, as a progressive beacon. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. You, you see this, I don't know if it's peculiar to the black community, but you see a lot of the discourse around um, Slumfire, for instance, and people say she's stolen discourse of, of sex workers and rebranded, you know, for her own ends. People can make up their own discussion, but it was interesting to see that almost same thing happened exactly back to her when she had bits of her own book plagiarized by someone else. Um, and I, I, just when you were talking then about how people packaged content in a specific way, it's not related. But I remember when Big Tobes was. He was at and something was happening on the tube and he had a video and the video was cut into like three bits and the first two bits was this i think like there was like a like a fight or a knife attack or something on the tube and then when it got to right to the juicy bit and the next thing he dropped like a video that he was going to release like from that video so oh i was like this God. is bad oh <laughs> <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> shout out big wow. toes for, for taking this opportunity but it's it's quite it's quite wild you know what people will sometimes do do in the moment um yeah um, it's like the weird thirst traps where the girls post the sexy fit video and then they you swipe to the left and it's like but also black lives matter yeah. it's like i don't actually know which message you're like trying to prioritize here yeah man mm. i mean i remember like there's a do you remember Breonna Taylor when she became like a meme? Mm -hmm. And then yeah. people would just be posting like, you know, bikini selfie or whatever, the abs. Exactly. Like, is, yeah. But it was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. listen, this, this is not about what you think it is. Beyond just the comment on that, it's like there is there is an impact mm. of, you know, civil rights and campaigns just becoming content. How much do you think that is down to, I guess, the social media companies themselves? Because I feel like when I... I agree with, with pretty much all of what you've said. But then when I look at social media in itself, like especially like Twitter it's like actively geared up to reward extreme. No, 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 my primary, although I talk about individuals on there, mm. like it's the, the platforms engineer this, it's, it's designed to do yeah. that. Now, got you know, it, so you it. can tip someone for tweets. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the platforms are designed, <laughs> they reward it. That's the per, that's, that's, how they, that's, how they, that's how they work. But then it's like, then what is the impact mm. of that? The Daily Mail, the Sun, all these tabloids, they've always had incentives, create outrage, um, get people buying this paper. What happens when that power is in the hands of millions of people mm. and they do the same and appeal to the biases of their so-called audiences? And then suddenly you have things which are true and are real. Sometimes they're getting you know, manipulated or you, know, you create false flags. I mean, it's like, I mean, Jussie Smollett, for example, like, how does that happen? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you don't need to fake racism in America. That's one thing that there's an abundance of. Listen, oh, yeah. you don't need to be faking racism there. What, what, are you, saying, what? you don't need to do that. <laughs> but it, 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 it speaks to the incentives of the moment. And so, yeah, no, the, the platforms for sure, they're, they're at the heart of this. 
the worst bit about that period of time was it was was the sheer number of eyes on the sheer number of people like coming up to me like oh i can't believe things were this bad it's just what this is what's been like for you growing up there's just eyes on the black community and people like oh i'm going to educate myself and i was like this is the worst possible time for the grifters to come out but that's yeah. exactly what it is because grift, some grifters are they are hustling listen listen they are doing their thing right now um and it's a grifters moment like not even just for like Mm. Like the black community, I mean, we, we've we've seen inventing Anna, Twin Swindler. There's a shop, uh, the program, BBC, Job Fished. I mean, oh, scammers yeah. paradise right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And social media does enable that and galvanize that because it enables you really just to propel a lot of smoke and mirrors. Mm. Um, so yeah, this this is a a grand age for fraud and misrepresentation. Mm. Mm. And it's got to be ins- especially impactful to young people who are already vulnerable to that and who are already vulnerable to being insecure and Mm. (laughs) still developing their sense of self-worth and so I feel like with the advent of social media and it it being what it is and to everything that you've just spoken to it's like that this the younger generations are the ones who are being targeted the hardest and who are falling for that and who knows like how long the damage will last from this group because I wonder did you notice any sort of differences in your research and your analysis between age groups like was were older age groups kind of able to navigate the system a bit I think better or I mean there are different things right so I don't go so much into like there's a lot happening right now about post-truth and radicalization online um and I guess the kind of example of that big example of that in recent years has been like how did Trump get elected so uh, we know that a lot of older people um, a lot of older white men have been radicalized on the internet on mm-hmm. Facebook platforms mm-hmm. like Facebook um, and are locked in an ecosystem. They're being locked and confined by very different influences to say, you know, young woman from the inner city who's following like IG baddies or whatever, you know, who's promoting yeah. these dubious platforms. So we're in different ecosystems, but it's all about, I think that it's about the platforms and the way that we're engaging with the platforms and the way that they become ever present as the primary site of human culture. Um, and I don't think that anyone is overly immune if you spend a lot of your time on the in, on the internet, to be honest with you. Mm. It's just about which arena is drawing you in. I mean, my book was primarily in, interested in generation who constantly just exposed to images of luxury and excess and success and feel like if you're not that, then you're just not popping. Mm. And that's a flaw on you, um, yeah. despite you being born into poverty or and disadvantaged or been disadvantaged like it's like labor is illegitimate you've got to be the actual hustler you've got to be the boss it's, you know this is the mantra of of hip-hop but before that this is the mantra of america and of wall street and the values that now we just live it ever present so that that was where i primarily focused um but in terms of influence the culture in the broader sense of the word like like we're all embedded in it at the moment mm. yeah it's tough because i feel like it's now it's inextricably linked with consumerism and especially when like it's it's risen with instagram for instance which everything is everything you see on instagram is what someone wants you to see but you've got an entire generation who aren't making that connection or aren't divorcing them aren't divorcing the fact that it's you know it's someone's projection of themselves 
So, I mean, it's, it's the it's, perfect storm, isn't it? It's the perfect storm for scammers and anyone that wants to do any kind of fraud because all these people that we're talking about, especially with, with what you just mentioned there, Alana, about young, vulnerable people, we're starting to see now just how many young, vulnerable people that social media has influenced, and there's millions of them now. And what you've got, so I look at it kind of like, you know, the, the old school con artists that would try and sell things to a lonely, vulnerable grandma um, on a doorstep, and they'd end up taking it for thousands. We're now seeing that on a mass scale because social media's created so many people who have FOMO, who feel as though they have to yeah. project themselves in a certain way. And now you've just got all these con artists. One in particular that I've seen a lot of in the US is people trying to get other people to set up Airbnb businesses on properties that they don't necessarily own. Yeah. And the risk strategy is so extreme. Like one of the first things that you have to deal with when you go in an investments is what your risk appetite is. So many people that are falling for these schemes, they have so much to lose and they don't have the bandwidth to actually take this kind of thing on. But at the end of the day, the con artist has already seen them as an easy lick because they are so vulnerable. They are so much wanting to, to emulate what they're seeing on social media so much. So there's just a whole generation, really, of people who are easy licks because of what social media has been doing the last, what, 10, 10, 15 years now. It's mad. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, if you want to see that logic in, in action, just look at the NFT bubble at the moment. You know what <sighs> I mean? Just look at crypto. I mean, that's, that's literally following that same, that, that, that same pattern. It's... Um... It's they're the same scams, and and this is the thing I'm trying to tell you. It's, it's the same sort of scams, just just wrapped up again. And anything where it's unregulated, anything where no one's sort of seen it before, we're packaging this up. We can make money quickly. We just need to get more people on it, and that's uh, I guess that's that's what draws people to it from both sides, from the scammer side and from the side where actually I can make a book quickly. Yeah, I think. And this is where my like Buddhist practice is going to come <laughs> out. But when I think about these topics, so I'm, I've been these ideas about consumerism, the relationship between that and race and influence, and myself being a creative and wanting to be more entrepreneurial and being in my fitness gig and like feeling like, oh God, I have to be more influential or whatever, whatever that means. I feel like I feel like there's a greater there's a deeper issue here in the sort of collective mentality around what is a fulfilling life mm, mm. what do I actually need to <laughs> be pursuing <laughs> um but but this is the thing right like I I also have a younger sister. Shout out JC. What's up? Um, and she's great, but she's she's 10 years younger than me. So she's in that Gen Z generation. And I kind of see the habits of her generation kind of through her. And so some of the things that I'm witnessing is this sort of pursuit of what people have been conditioned to want to pursue. So feeling like, yes, they have to hustle. They have to pursue money. They have to pursue um, clout. But it's a, it's a course that will never lead to satisfaction. Mm, and mm, I feel like mm. there's not the balance in our cultures here mm. in the UK, in the US, um, of that discussion of like, but what's actually fulfilling yeah. you? And it, it, we keep wanting to find that external validation yeah. instead of 
going within and that's where the Buddhist part comes in. But <laughs> but it's true, like developing your own sense of self-worth, like your own authentic desires and pleasures. Like these are all the things that can counterbalance, I think, that the pulls of society and capitalism to get you to feel basically like shit about yourself mm. um, and to always kind of try to chase the dragon of consumerism. Yeah, man. I mean, clout. Listen, clout is killing my people right now. Yeah. Yeah. What people are doing for clout is actually madness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get it because you're aware that what people are aware that clout is a currency, that there's no getting around that. Um, social currency and economic currency. So, you know, I, I understand it. And I think that that's hopefully what I tried to bring out in the book. But fundamentally, it also feels a bit like a trap. Um, and it's not, it's another type of rat race. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, finding that balance, although my book is not like premised on that, it's like I think it, it is important because there's a generation feeling like feeling worthless because they haven't got what they think they're supposed to have, um, and yeah, and also I think it's also limiting. It can also limit our imaginations as to what we can collectively do, create, and ask of mm. policymakers because we've gone from collectivist sensibilities to individualist ones. Yes. Um, and that 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 is probably the greatest marker and differentiator. Although America's always been quite individualist, I think the shift away from social democratic norms and principles here is the Americanization seeping in and which influence the culture for me is a part of that atomization, mm. move towards a gig-based economy mm. and lots of real things. Um, so it's not an isolated thing. And it's a lot more than just, you know, aren't these people posting selfies and being vain? It's like, no, that this is an entire economic shift. Yeah. To just, um, I guess, round this out on a, a positive if possible. What do you feel can be can be done, I guess, to try and <laughs> <laughs> turn this in a positive direction? Because it's not something, it's, it's all, because it's all so new, um, and because of the esteem in which it's held and the way it's viewed by like wider society, what can we do to, to, to get a grip on this on this, this sort of dark section of the economy, I guess? I mean, the interesting thing is that although my book is about influence the culture, it's really like that as a proxy for the current economic consensus okay. and this stage late state capitalism and the values at the heart of it and the precarity at the heart of it. And really recognizing that these are primarily the areas of concern mm. that need that need work, rebuilding the kind of social consensus. That that is primarily where the focus should be. Because it may be if you didn't need, maybe if you weren't trying to, you know, twerk on the ground because you know you, you needed to pay your rent or whatever. Maybe you'd be creating what you want to create. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's I think it's that that for me is where the, the real imagination needs to be focused on because I think that the influence of the economy or and the pursuit of clout um, and the clout industrial complex I think <laughs> it's like that that is speaking to these economic yeah. real concerns and so th- that's where that's primarily where the real problem is yeah I mean it, uh, I'm on I'll say I'm on the inside of it, it, it working in advertising and I had, <laughs> <laughs> and I had Neef actually on. We we've we've had this series called Black Perspectives where I talked to black creators on and we had Neef. And the whole point of the series is that we try and give a platform to black creators to talk about where they, how they've got to where they've got to and what brands can do and just 
you know, I would never tell anyone what to say. And I, for me, that's my job is to just try and build that conversation and be one of the people inside brands, which is push, pushing it from the other side because it's it's a lonely world out there. And, and the more people I talk to, and I just hear it time and time and time again about how um, isolating it can be, how exploitative it can be. And it's just, you've just got to keep working to set up these practices from the inside. Yeah, I mean, I mean for me, that don't get me wrong. The book is, the book is obviously critical, but you know I mean? People who are creators and creating interesting things, mm. you know, more power to them. Um, and I think that some of these platforms are enabling a huge amount of creativity and these things are good. It's about the extent to which the market and market principles and the pressure to, I guess, to make profit as opposed to, to support creativity. That That is the real um, area of, I guess, inquiry and scrutiny of, of, of the book. Um, so enabling creators and supporting creators, I think that that's another question. I guess one of the other things that my book has also looks at is that fundamentally we know who the winners are. They're the people who run the platforms, they're the shareholders. And mm -hmm. actually the people who are actually really allowed to win are a very narrow subset of people. We know that venture capital only goes to, hardly goes to any women, hardly mm -hmm. goes to any minorities, it goes to these handful of elite men from certain backgrounds. And they're always winning because they own all the platforms. Yeah. And so it's like even beginning to look at, okay, how then, how then do creators actually get to see the fruits of their labor? If these companies are making billions and trillions in value, that's going to a few people. How can actually, you know, how does that then begin to filter? How can there be greater mm -hmm. equity then? That probably requires organization, but you have to have the imagination to have that conversation, which is what, so one of the questions the book is kind of raising, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like create cre creators, um, good. Profit, the profit, mo the, the, the profit motive and people's pursuit of that solely can be corrupting. And I think that is some of what we're seeing right now. That's a great point to sort of jump in and talking about how we can create more winners and create platforms and avenues for people to be themselves. Obviously this week we've had the sort of tragic loss to, of Jamal Edwards and he's someone who very much lived that without him. It's it's hard to see uh, the online landscape as it currently is, as a pioneer out there. And truly the number of tributes, full-throated like praise from everywhere, from all quarters, um, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. Um, there, there are sort of few aspects of this which I would like to sort of investigate and, and look at and talk about today. But I think we obviously asked you on today, Neve. Um, you were sort of worked at SBTV. Um, you worked at SBTV? Yeah. Like I, didn't, I didn't know that, you know. <laughs> 2017 <laughs> to 2018, yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Change. Yeah, well, what was it, what was it, what was it, what was it like at that time? And, you know, what was your experience of, of Jamal? Yeah, it was interesting. I think I was like everybody pro grew up watching F64s, warm up sessions, all of these videos. So I remember when I got offered the job, I was like, I've made it to the Holy Grail, like, <laughs> this is it. Like, um, so even like walking into the building and um, seeing like the office where, where, where the office is, like a lot of those warm up sessions are filmed on the balcony. So you're like, oh snap, there's the balcony where mm. so-and-so filmed and so-and-so filmed. But I think what really stood out to me in my time there was um, 
just seeing the a is like the team like i don't think most people didn't come into media through traditional means which i think was is a, a big legacy of Jamawa and the company mm. is that it's given so many people careers that they've been able to go off and do but seeing like that in work he was like such a like a very very giving and very um i guess selfless in the way he'd connect people i know i think that's good and i think we've seen a lot of the stories coming out over the past week of like how he's just yeah. helped people in like random ways and i think seeing that in action was quite um humbling in a lot of ways and it, the one that stands to my comes to mind and you've maybe worked with mabdul the photographer yeah it was i think he just saw mabdul saw jamal on oxford street and was like hey i want to take pictures and then he was just like within a week he was like on the sbtv instagram he was doing like red bull stuff and then <laughs> obviously he's super successful in his own right now but um so mm. i think little stories like that i think really capture what um people have been saying about him this week mm. um, and then of course there's the whole music side to it too like i don't think uk rap grime black music um is in the state it is today without the contribution that that he made for sure I, it's interesting we, we also lost um virgil abloh not mm. long ago and mm. it's very similar sort of stories and tributes about how these people who must have had one million and one things going on in their life mm-hmm were the most sort of selfless and generous people. They remembered the face. They weren't afraid to share a stage. They weren't afraid to give someone their stage. Mm. Um, and I think there's there's definitely been a lesson in, of, of that in me. It, it must have been hard for him as well because I guess he, there was no blueprint. He he sort of created his own blueprint, you know. He, he had his butt deal, his turn on four show. It, man had a Google advert. <laughs> <laughs> he had a Google advert. Um, he did his Prince's Trust stuff. So, I mean, I, I guess, throwing it to you, Alana, as, as as an American sort of, who's partaken late in, in sort of British culture, what what, was, what did you sort of feel um, when you sort of uh, experienced this loss? Um, to be honest, I had to, so I, I, I didn't know much mm. about him, so I had to do my research, mm. um, but kind of came to the same conclusions as you, is that this is a person who... For someone who I, I don't think his name really made it to the States to have, and not that that necessarily means anything, but <laughs> to to have somebody so prolific kind of in the background, meaning so much to people who are household names, mm. like that's, I'm always really interested in those, in those characters, mm. like the people who, like the producers or the... I don't know, people who work on sets that like everyone in the business knows, but you, the consumer or the audience wouldn't necessarily mm. know. I mean, mm. obviously it's different here in the UK, um, but yeah, no, I just feel for everybody who is influenced uh, by his work and his kindness, it seems like. Mm. What was your sort of experience? I guess you were just a consumer of, of, of the product, I guess, like yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that London and Black London is very small, <laughs> let alone people who are in around media. So, I mean, I think like, I first entered his orbit with like this program called Spirit of London Awards, which was recognizing London doing interesting work. Yeah. At the time I was doing a lot of work with young people. Um, and then I used to always see him actually in my gym. Man was always posted at White City. Mm. And you, you used to talk him like, oh yeah, you, how you doing? He's keeping it real, he's always very humble down to earth. Mm. A nice guy and obviously like, you know, I consumed uh, the, the product, everybody did, we all did growing yeah. up. Mm. And what I, what I like is that, you know, when he, that, that project was, 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 was pre the cloud industrial pro- complex, you know what I'm saying? It was pre all of this, it was like, this was literally 
done for the culture mm-hmm. um, and trying to get it to a place where he could obviously eat and be sustainable and, and grow it. But it was driven by a love of wanting to share the culture, share artists, share talent, mm. connect community, especially one that was being underserved by mainstream media at that time. So for me, it was like that, that's the spirit with which, you know, creation should be pursued. Yeah. Um, and even when, you know, there, there was investment, it, from what I could see, there never seemed to be a real corruption there. You know what I mean? It was always driven, it always seemed to function with the same principles. I mean, Neve could probably better speak to that or, or not. And I am, and I think that you know, the loss is really kind of really, really hitting in, in, mm-hmm. in so in so many ways, and also reflecting on how he actually did shift, you know, British pop culture, and therefore pop culture even even wider, simply by showing by 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 building a platform and connecting what was already there and what was really moving, and saying, you know, what, we don't need you guys, we can we can coalesce around this, and you know, we we can show you what's what, what's possible. And I think if anything, that is a that's a good example of of social media. And the, and the potential that, that, that it can have. Mm. Um, so after you know writing a whole book, uh, you know, <laughs> tanking it, I think that 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 is a good antidote. Yeah, mm. I mean, I was going to be a part two next year, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it's it's yeah, I mean, it's weird because I guess out of SBTV, you then like sort of link up came and then sort of GRM came, and although link up and GRM had their moments. SBTV and Jamal always felt like it was he was always like he was always a connector he was always mm-hmm. a, a, a peacemaker he was always a peaceful like a peaceful person so although as businesses you would say they're direct competitors but that wasn't ever a thing mm. for him you know I always felt like he was the the glue in the in the scene well yeah well Jamal transcended the platform in a way yeah, yeah and yeah. you know he he became like a visible I guess role model in public mm. life you know and he was propelled there and he was a good ambassador um he was a great ambassador for it so i think that in many i think in, in many ways it's like although you know we've seen companies i guess replicate the model you know you mentioned link up tv grm etc it's like actually there was always just one jamai edwards yeah and he was yeah, known yeah. and he was that guy with the camera and that spirit that young guy with the camera that spirit always stayed and he was always trying to make things happen and be a positive influence. And whereas I'm quite a critical person, and I'm like, mm, let's look at this. You need those people who are positive representations of possibility. You need that hope. You need you need that aspiration. This is it, and especially with the community and his audience, mm. with the, like the the people he's speaking for and to and has come from, have difficult lives and have been through some difficult times when you think what's happened in the last 10 years alone. And you think of, for instance, after like the, the riots, you're gonna go back as far as that. And you think of every single time anything happens, they come for the music. Why are these guys saying this? There's, we shouldn't be paying these drill tracks. Like it's a very patient, generous, protective person who defends that art for the sake of the people that are making it. And that's something which, uh, which I really felt. I think as well, on top of that, just, just thinking a bit more selfishly, perhaps, where you and I grew up, Dan, it sometimes felt a bit isolated mm. in terms of Black Britain. Black Britain was just London when we were growing up. Mm. And for years and years, it was sharing 
content with infrared on our dead little Sony Ericsson phones and whatnot. But when the lights of SBTV came along, the connection, it was kind of like a glue and we were able to, to be closer to what we actually wanted to consume and what we actually wanted to be part of. And I think that, again, speaking selfishly, is one of the, the most enduring parts of his legacy for me. It made me realize that there was a community that I didn't have to be physically present for to feel part of. Mm. And it's that kind of thing. And, and I think you mentioned it as well, Simeon. He is the blueprint of the young black CEO that mm, so many mm, people mm, are trying mm, to do now by mm, all mm, kinds mm, of different means. Mm, mm. We saw that with Jamal and I think that in his legacy, it's it's unbelievable. People aren't gonna forget that. And the problem is, is that people wanna, they wanna repeat the success, but they don't really wanna, you know, meet, recognize that it's all about the value creation. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Like everyone wants to be the boss and the CEO, but it's like actually, you need to be solving a problem. And actually that is that yeah. passion that should be driving you. And with Jamal, that was always, that was always present, that was always at the heart. How can I drive the culture forward? I believe in this, I love this, I'm obsessed with music. This is what I'm, I'm mm. passionate about before exactly. anything else. That's it, that's yeah. the key yeah. there. That's pivotal and that's what people should be taking as opposed to, oh, I just wanna be this boss. Man wants to pop yeah. these bottles, man wants yeah, to, you know yeah. what I mean, drop this drip. But, <laughs> do you know what I mean? They, that's really, you know, that's, that, that's key. The passion and, and the focus on a thing just, mm -hmm. No, definitely. And I think speaking to that, I think one thing that really struck me when I got there was that he'd still film a lot of the, this was 26, 2017, he'd still film like a lot of the warm up sessions himself. So mm. in my head, I was like, arrive, arriving, I thought, oh, there's going to be like a long roster of directors and they're all doing it. And then you'd see him on the balcony of like Big Zoo, just yeah, filming uh, a warm up <laughs> session. I was like, oh, you're still doing this. But I think it's, that's just what he was genuinely passionate just about. Just loved it. That's and, real, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's, 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 the, that's the model, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's really the model. Ed Sheeran, man. Like, mm. man bro, Ed Sheeran, the whole Ed Sheeran was, was I'm not gonna say it was solely down to, to Jamal, but. Well, Ed Sheeran said it was solely down to him. I mean, that's, I, he, no, yeah. he put him on. He definitely put yeah, him on. I, that was the first time I ever heard Ed Sheeran. Same, he was like, yeah. oh, we've seen this guy on SBTV. Rare, rare, rare. Hmm. And the best thing about it for me as well, right? So this is something you never, ever see. You'd never see this. On the news when people were reading his obituaries, you were talking about a black, a young black boy has put on one of the biggest white artists in the world. And we never, ever hear those kind of stories. It's always... Ed Sheeran's name first and then Jamal, but it was Jamal and then Ed Sheeran. And you never hear that in primetime mainstream TV. So that was amazing to hear as well. Yeah, Jamal, Ed Sheeran, Jesse J, Emily Sande. Like, Emily Sande as well? Yeah, I didn't know that. yeah. That 2012 Olympics year was Jamal's year. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I guess it's key to, like, as you say, like the passion first love what you do and don't put the result i guess don't put the output ahead of of, of the input if we're gonna give advice for people to, to follow along got a couple of minutes left so let's plug the book a bit more <laughs> oh, okay well look the book is called get rich or lie trying ambition and deceit in the new influencer economy as i said at the beginning available at all good bookstores only um you know, if you go into a bookstore, demand not only that they sell it, but that they put it on the front, on the window, um, you know, demand that they order lots of stock. But yeah, I mean, it's like um, the book is really accessible and it's super relatable. And certainly if you are black, a lot of although the book is not overtly a book about black people, 
it's very much embedded in the culture. Mm. Mm. Um, a lot of books written about, I guess, the internet technology, usually pretty much centered by a white gaze and therefore white culture reference points is points and, and I guess it's like race might be an afterthought. But in this book, it is generally, genuinely intersectional, not in a kind of token way or whatever, but it's like, mm. that's that's the viewpoint. And so it's like, you know what I mean? I'm more likely to cite Cardi B than somebody else, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> or, or, or like some academic. And so, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's I think I think it's interesting. I think the stories are, are great. I think it's quite accessible. It's not overly academic. It's not overly theoretical. Let's look at these stories and what they tell us. Um, some of the stories are quite wild. You know, you've got a brother who used to live on Skid Row in LA, a black brother. I didn't even know what Skid Row was until I went to LA, came out my hotel, was walking, and then, and then basically got accosted by it and was basically <laughs> shocked. I don't know. You know what Skid Row is? You, guys, you, you know what Skid Row is? I've heard it's about it. It's basically the city within the city of LA it's that is just tents and just right. people sleeping I'd, on the street. I, it's I, like, oh, streets I, I'd, I'd loosely heard about Skid yeah. Row. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. I don't think you can even be prepared for it until you see it. Right. Honestly. Usually what happens is you're walking in downtown LA and you turn a corner and you're like, oh shit. Like it's literally just I was, I was, I, I almost wanted to just basically quit my trip and just come back home. I was still distressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like blocks and blocks of what was a shanty town in mm-hmm. one of the supposed to be the most glamorous city in the world. But, but anyway, the original point was it, this, this, this man wasn't, wasn't, he was down and out. He was living in Skid Row managed to hustle his way out as a server. Then they started doing Uber. Then one day, a kind of alt-right live streamer gets in his car, um, or alt-right leaning live streamer, gets in his car, pots him on, makes him a character in their world. And you know now he makes an income by basically charging people to racially abuse him. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's like, listen, there's some wild stories oh. in the book. Um, yeah, the book. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I was not ready go. for that. There you go. Like, listen, the, book, the book is just, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of like wild stories that you haven't heard before. Wow. And a lot of the stories about internet culture that we get usually are picked by a certain type of person. Uh, so you might hear about someone like, like Caroline Calloway or someone goes viral like that. And it's like, their lives are mundane compared to some of the people hmm. yeah, in the book. And yeah, you know, I, and I name names as well. So, you know, there, there's a bit of smoke in there. I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen smoke, when, the book, free smoke. When, when the book comes out. I don't know. I'm probably going to get smoked. So, <laughs> yeah, man, it's going to be interesting. Simeon's looked under the stone, so you don't have to. So <laughs> buy the book. Neve, quickly, you also still in the process? <laughs> yeah, in the process. So uh, I hope this time next year I'll be where Simeon's at with my first book out. But um, yeah, it's called Where We Come From and kind of what we've been touching on with Jamal and stuff. It's about um, the kind of impact British rap has had on mm. three communities across the UK. So it's, uh, yeah, look at music, look at modern Britain yeah. and how the two have been in like an interwoven relationship with each other mm. for the past however many decades. No, I'm looking forward to that one. Do you know what I realised as well? You know what? I feel like... People are not giving Neef his flowers, you know. We're, we're <laughs> in the presence of greatness here. Bro, Man on, like Neef. Honestly, like last time we had it, since we had him on last time, I I didn't think he'd answer the phone. <laughs> he has gone clear. I was expecting an assistant. Uh, but no. So that might you, be my next job anyway, to be honest. Listen. No, give Neef his flowers still. Simeon. Thanks so much for coming on. And also, you know what? I realized I realized I plugged the wrong book as well. 
No, I know. In fact, I planned to write a book. I'm also, I'm in the process of writing a second book, which is oh. basically on the black professional classes. Exclusive. And I would like, mm. I would like black professionals to complete the survey. So far I've surveyed, Dumb. I've surveyed 1400 black professionals. Um, super interesting. It's about the emerging black middle class in Britain. Um, who they are, what they think, who they're marrying, where they're living, and just trying to understand like what's happened, what's taking place. Um, mm. Yeah, but it's called. If you want to find the survey, blackcensus.online. B B L A C K, census C N C E N S U S. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> dot online. Um, yeah, and and it's on there. Some of the data is super interesting. I can tell you mm. already from the findings a lot about why so much of the discourse that we discuss about black people in Britain is wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. We'll circulate that. So there will be a part two. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we need to get you back on this pod because that is exactly one of the topics we're about to get into. So I'm looking forward to that already. Okay, cool. Yeah, thanks again, Simeon, for coming on. Amazing guest and Neve as well. Thank you again. Thanks, guys. Looking yeah, for the thank you, bro. Thank you. Looking for the hat trick bowl in a year's time. We'll get that <laughs> rally through. Thank you, Alana. Thank you, as always. Yeah. Thank you, Dom. Yes, yes. And thank you to the good folks at Outset Hoxton. Away day for the for the team. Thanks for listening and we are out. Yeah.